0: The complex task of making a confident diagnosis of interstitial lung disease is a real challenge for clinicians as symptoms often mimic a wide range of medical conditions. Visit the ATS-ILD Education Center for educational tools and resources that are designed to help improve patient outcomes with an accurate and early diagnosis. Our latest resources include the Idiopathic Pulmonary Fibrosis Primer, the Progressive Fibrosis Interstitial Lung Disease Primer, and the Connective Tissue-Related Interstitial Lung Disease Primer. Visit thoracic.org slash go slash ILD Education Center to learn more. That's thoracic.org slash go slash ILD Education Center. This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Pleton, and I'm a professor of medicine at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by Dr. Tatjana Kanzerska who's the first author of a paper entitled An Association Between Positive Airway Pressure Device Manufacturer and Incidental Cancer, a Secondary Data Analysis. Uh, and this was recently accepted in the Blue Journal. Uh, I'm also joined by Dr. Robert Owens who has a special interest in this topic. Uh, Dr. Kanzerska is an assistant professor of medicine, the University of Ottawa, and Dr. Owens is associate professor of medicine, the University of California at San Diego. So before we come to discussing this study, uh, many of our listeners may not be fully aware of all the issues related to the recent voluntary recall of Philips uh, Respironics positive airway pressure devices. Bob, can you outline the background and the impact of this recall?
0: Sure, happy to. So, uh, John, as you mentioned, you know, some of the pulmonary and critical care listeners of the podcast and readers of the journal, you know, this may not have crossed into their consciousness as much, but uh, for sleep providers, this was a huge deal. So, as you mentioned, Phillips Respironics issued um, what they call a voluntary recall notification on June 14th, and this was for their CPAP, BiLevel, and ventilator devices. Most of them that they had produced for the last 10 years, so it's not something just affecting devices rolling off the assembly line now it's something that people using any of these devices for the last decade are going to be affected by. And we can talk more about the specific reasons that led to the recall in a moment, but um, you know this announcement came out of the blue for most people and probably affects three to 4 million people uh, in the United States and then many more around the world. And the people range from those who, who quote unquote, just have obstructive sleep apnea to other people who really require chronic ventilator support. So the recall impacts those who are currently using these devices, and the recall also impacts two other groups, new patients who need a diagnostic test and to start on therapy, uh, and also physicians who have to deal with either how to run a sleep lab and all these calls from patients, you know, what do I do with this recalled equipment? what were the specific concerns which led to this recall? Uh, well, the underlying reason for the recall is that there's breakdown of some of the sound abatement foam that's designed to keep these machines quiet. So you have, you know, the, the heart of the machine is a, is a blower, is a, you know, a, a little engine that produces the airway pressure, and around that is some material to keep the noise down. And it seems that in these devices, the material can break down and that might lead to two harms for people using these devices. So first, the material can get into the air pathway. So a little bit of this uh, material breaks off, goes down the hose and into the PAP user. And it's thought that this might lead to upper airway complaints. So uh, cough, headaches, things like that. And, and there were actually complaints to Philips uh, around these kinds of symptoms. The other concern is that this is a polyurethane material and it might release uh, what are called volatile organic compounds, some of which are carcinogenic or known to be carcinogenic. Now, there's been no clear link uh, with the use of these machines in cancer, so it's more of a hypothetical concern. But as you can imagine, this causes many people and practitioners to to worry quite a bit about how safe these devices are. And the only other thing I want to mention is that the breakdown of the foam apparently can be accelerated by high humidity as well as the use of uh, ozone cleaning devices. So sometimes people buy a third party manufacturer device that helps them clean the machine. There's no data for any of that, um, but it seems that the use of some of these cleaners that use ozone is contributing to the problem.
1: So are there similar concerns with other positive airway uh, pressure devices such as those made by ResMed or Fisher Paykel?
0: No, not that we know of. So both ResMed and Fisher & PayCal have issued statements um, that they don't use the same kind of foam and they don't have the same issue. Um, I had to go back to my organic chemistry days, but apparently ResMed uses polyether urethane and silicone-based foam, um, not polyester urethane. And so thought to be safer and they haven't had the similar reports. So that's, that's certainly good news for people who use those devices. But there aren't enough ResMed machines and Fisher and PayCal machines uh, to make up for basically what's a huge supply problem right now of getting existing users on new safe machines and then trying to move through the usual pipeline of newly diagnosed patients.
1: Patients have been told to stop using their Phillips, Respironics um, positive airway pressure devices and contact their physician. Uh, what's been your approach when discussing this issue with patients?
0: Well, I want to. I wanna make one small clarification. So Philips did state that those who were using their machines for life-sustaining ventilation should continue with their therapy, which I think was an incredibly smart recommendation. But they did, as you mentioned, and in my opinion, unfortunately, tell the rest of their users to stop using their device and then consult with their physician. And so this may make sense from a Philips point of view, cause they're looking at risk to their company, I, I think. Um, But it doesn't make sense from a patient point of view because it doesn't account for the benefits that patients experience from CPAP. So I think telling patients to stop their CPAP, you know, patients who are on CPAP because they have drowsy driving or other symptoms, uh, you know, really doesn't uh, take into account all the risks and benefits here. So my approach for existing PAP users has been, you know, I, I ask them if they're using their machine. I ask them if they are symptomatic if they stop using their machine. And I ask them if they use one of these ozone cleaning devices. One brand is called SoClean, for example. And if they use and derive benefit from their machine, I have them continue to use it. Um, I tell them to stop using a SoClean machine or other ozone-based cleaning device. You know, in general, I've emphasized that I think the risks are very low for patients that are using CPAP machines without one of these cleaning devices. And we'll come to that in a minute about, you know, it's been hard to know what the risks exactly are. The only other thing I'll say is that for you know this pipeline problem of getting machines to people who need them, I have also changed what I'm doing to my um, existing patients that are on CPAP that are ready for a new machine. It's been five years. Their insurance provider will pay for a new machine. I've basically been delaying that if their machine works and they're happy with it. And for newly diagnosed patients who I normally would offer a trial of CPAP, I might be doing, um, you know, a little bit more conservative therapy with with trial of weight loss oral appliance therapy for those with mild or relatively asymptomatic disease. So it's definitely changed uh, my practice and how I approach both new and old patients on these recalled devices.
1: OK, well, let's uh, let's move to the paper now. Tejana, what was the objective of your study?
2: At first, I want to say thank you, John, for inviting me to talk about our study. And uh, we conducted this study specifically to assess the relationship between the manufacture of uh, PUB therapy devices and incident cancer. Okay. And what was your methodology in study population? So, I want to be clear that this is a secondary data analysis study. Uh, to address our research objective, we utilize link clinical and provincial health administrative data housed at ICES from our previously published retrospective multi center clinical cohort study conducted in Ontario, Canada. Uh, for that study, we used data from five sleep centers on adults who underwent a diagnostic level one polysomnography between 1994 and 2017, who were free of cancer at baseline to specifically assess the relationship between sleep apnea and incident cancer. And we derived cancer studies from the Ontario Cancer Registry. The outcome was incident cancer of any type. All patients were followed from the time of the polysomnography until cancer diagnosis moving out of the province death on March 31, 2020, when the Ontario Cancer Registry was last updated information on positive um, airway pressure initiation since the time of polysomnography was derived from the assistive device program database. And uh, of uh, note, all Ontario residents are covered by a single provincial health insurance plan, which includes funding for positive airway pressure treatment devices but require individuals to undergo a polysomnography and to be diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea by ADP-registered sleep physician. And receipt of funding a PAP type and PAP device manufacturer are documented in the ADP database. Uh, Funding eligibility is not dependent on measures of obstructive sleep apnea, CVD, adherence with positive airway pressure therapy or PAP manufacturer. And given data availability on PUB manufacturers in the ADP database, for this specific study we focused only on individuals who claimed a purchase since 2012, which corresponds with times affected um, devices were manufactured by Philips Respironics, as Bob mentioned previously, between 2009 and 2021. We classified individuals by the manufacturer of uh, PUB devices they claimed uh, specifically as by Philips Respironics, ResMed, uh, Fisher, and Pekel, others, and those with missing data. And also, we combined all non Philips Respironics devices as a comparison group. And um, uh, we included about 7,000 individuals in our study who claimed a purchase of positive airway pressure device through ADP since 2012. The median age was uh, 51 years old, 64% men with a median body mass index of 32, a median apnea-hypopnea index of 25 at baseline polysomnography. Uh, 17% uh, were located in the lowest neighborhood income and 11% in the rural area. As a majority of individuals, about 57% were using ResMed devices, uh, 22% Fisher and Paykel devices, and uh, 18% Philips Respironics devices. And uh, among those, uh, 90% were listed as affected. Uh, we have not found uh, considerable differences in baseline characteristics between individuals who claimed Philips' respironics and all non-Philips' respironics devices combined. And uh, our median follow-up of uh, 7.5 years, about 5% individuals developed cancer, and the most frequent types of cancer were prostate, breast, uh, colorectal, melanoma, and lung cancers.
1: Thank you. Uh, what were your primary findings?
2: Uh, so uh, using uh, multivariable cause uh, specific COX regression analysis and uh, controlling for age, uh, sex, uh, alcohol use disorder, uh, chronic heart failure, COPD, hypertension, diabetes at baseline, obstructive sleep apnea, CVD, sleep clinic sites involved in year of the sleep study. Uh, compared to Philips Respironics, there were no significant differences in incident cancer between different pub device manufacturers. Uh, Also, we were not able to perform modeling for cancer subtypes of interest due to a small sample size. As a standardized difference between individuals who claimed Philips Respironics and all Uh, Other devices combined did not exceed 6% for cancer subtypes of interest, and usually 10% is considered as significant. And specifically for lung cancer, the standardized difference was zero, with the same percentage of individuals who developed lung cancer in follow-up.
1: Do you think the seven and a half years of follow-up is sufficiently long to assess the risk for all cancers?
2: This is very interesting and uh, I would say difficult to answer question, given that the literature on how long it takes for different types of cancer to develop is limited. And uh, our primary outcome was some sort of a composite outcome of different cancer types. Uh, Reassuringly, usually studies on incident cancer are based on an average follow-up of seven years or more. And to further, also the median 7.5 years of follow-up may be not sufficient enough for all types of cancer, given that we combine them all as an outcome. Our sample size and follow-up time were in combination large enough to detect 15% hazard or larger associated with Philips Respironics devices as compared to other devices combined, with more than 80% statistical power to obtain a significant result. So we're good here, but still, it's important to keep in mind that our estimations are limited by their post hoc nature, because it's secondary data analysis.
1: Are there any other strengths? or? potential limitations of your your study that you'd like to raise?
2: Yeah, I believe at least we are first to report um, incident cancer risk uh, since the Phyllis Respironics recall announcement. Uh, We utilize data from a large multi-center cohort study with almost near complete follow-ups through health administrative data, and we use a high-quality Ontario Cancer Registry to derive the cancer status. And, However, as I previously mentioned, our results are limited by secondary data analysis, also by the possibility of misclassification bias and unmeasured confounding. A relatively limited sample size, then prevented analysis by cancer subtype and exploration of potential baseline differences by PAP manufacturer, and finally, the lack of information on adherence with CPAP therapy.
1: So Bob, do you you think these findings now change how physicians advise patients who've been told to stop using their Philips Respironics uh, positive airway pressure devices?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I know that we just spent some time talking about all the potential limitations and Tetiana went through, you know, relatively small sample size and, and many imperfections. Uh, yet I think, you know, this work is incredibly timely and relevant and I, and I think it is great work. Um, you know, some patients and their physicians are are really in a tough spot where they have a machine that helps them and yet the manufacturer is saying there might be a cancer risk and yet with the safety recall there's no numbers with that there's no reports of cancer as i said earlier it's almost like a you know almost like a hypothetical or theoretical risk but it's sort of hanging over people so i think with all the limitations that were said and it's hard to imagine you know who what other groups or what other databases you could use to really answer this question i think these data are very reassuring that if there is a risk, it's very, very small, and I think likely there is almost no risk of increased cancer with these devices. So I think uh, again, these data are incredibly reassuring. I think it moves the conversation a little bit away from that theoretical risk, and you know, hopefully, people won't have as much anxiety about um, continuing to use their devices until we can get the problem addressed.
1: Now, Tatiana, uh, not related to this paper, but. Uh somewhat uh, somewhat related is, is there is human and animal studies which indicate that obstructive sleep apnea may be associated with an increased prevalence and severity of cancer. Uh, you previously investigated this association using the same database. Is obstructive sleep apnea a risk for malignancy? Uh,
2: yes, uh, so we have previously published the manuscript in the Cancer Epidemiology Biomarkers and uh, Prevention Journal for those who are interested. And uh, while looking specifically on the association between obstructive sleep apnea and incident cancer. And uh, we utilized data on about 30,000 individuals free of cancer at baseline with varying degrees of obstructive sleep apnea. And we found that the severity of sleep apnea expressed by both by apnea hypopnea index and uh, nocturnal oxygen desaturations uh, was associated in dose dependent manner with cancer incidence, independent of non-cancer related risk factors with the greatest risk noted for individuals with severe hypoxemia.
1: Okay, now um, before we finish, uh, any final points you'd like to emphasize about this paper?
0: Bob, can I start with you? Sure, uh, just to follow on the point that Tatiana just made, I think, you know, she has shown that uh, in the immediate paper we're discussing, didn't see an increased risk of cancer incidence with use of ResMed devices, yet untreated sleep apnea and hypoxemia are risk factors for cancer. So again, I think, you know, she, is, uh, her, she and her group are, are single-handedly, uh, you know, helping provide some great reassurance, you know, if patients are worried about cancer, yeah, we should treat their sleep apnea. Um, So I want to congratulate her and her co-authors on this very impactful work. You know, we recently wrote an editorial that laid out how clinicians and society should respond to this recall. And on our wish list was um, we wanted well-designed and adequately powered studies to answer this question of how much risk there was for for PAP users. And so within a couple of weeks, we have this paper, which is just amazing. So my, my final point is that while this paper is incredibly reassuring, I think I think the recall has shown that we really need much better communication from manufacturers to clinicians and between clinicians and, at least in the U.S., between durable medical equipment companies because the recall itself, while this is good news, we still need to replace all these devices. There are still other potential risks of using these machines, and uh, the recall has been very difficult, and, and communication between the different entities and different uh, and with their patients has been pretty poorly managed. So I think there's a lot we could learn about how to do this better in the future.
1: Absolutely. Tatjana, any final comments?
2: Thank you so much, Bob, for saying those nice words about our study. And hopefully we can do more research to address more questions with larger databases. And uh, I just want to echo his comments that despite the status limitation, our study still provides some reassurance to individuals exposed to phyllis Respironics PAP devices since 2009, and this funding should help balance this clinical risk-benefit discussions between clinicians and patients and prevent discontinuation of therapy where subsequent direct harm could occur, such as impairment of alertness leading to traffic accidents or for patients with severe sleep apnea and significant oxygen desaturations in sleep and complex comorbidities. Thank you again for inviting me. So I'd like to thank you both, Dr.
1: Kenderkta and uh, and Dr. Owens, for this discussion. To the listener, to read the articles discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. You can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. So thanks again for listening and, and have a great day.